Hey, welcome to the Saints Church Podcast. My name is Dave, and today we have a word by Pastor Seb Murda on the battle for trust. Well, hello, hello. My name is Sebastian, and it is an honor that I get to uh, speak today. Uh, So we're just going to jump right in. The last few weeks, Pastor Brett uh, and Pastor Des have been preaching a little bit about trusting God. And uh, funny enough, there wasn't like a sermon series that was like called Trusting God or anything. It just... Uh, It just kind of like happened, and I didn't even hear Pastor Brett's sermon last week, um, but I started kind of writing my sermon, and uh, it it ended up being about trusting God, and so I really do think that God is trying to weave something together uh, for us to understand as a church, Um, and so I I just encourage you to to jump into this with me um, and to, to kind of see what God is speaking today. Uh, When I was uh, about 20 years old, I was looking for a new car. Uh, And when I say new, that's a very relative term because I was 20 years old. So I was looking for a very used car. And I went through, I bought this one Mazda and I literally bought it and I had it for like one week and it was just gutless. And, And I bought it on Kijiji and so I was like, oh my goodness, like the initial purchase seemed a little sketchy. So I didn't think I was gonna be able to sell it again, but I was like, I don't want this Mazda anymore. So I immediately posted it on Kijiji. I was able to sell it again. And uh, I tried my brother's car out and he had this 94 Toyota Camry and it was green. And I, I put the pedal to the metal on that Camry and it was just like, it just went. And I wanted that car. And so, uh, so I started my search for this Toyota Camry and eventually I finally got this Kijiji notification saying, there's a 95 Toyota Camry, pretty much the same as my brother's, the same color, it looked exactly the same, uh, and it was for sale. And so I bought this Toyota Camry, and I drove that Camry for seven years. I paid $1,800 for it. I drove it for seven years. I put $0 into it, other, aside from oil changes and just the regular regular maintenance. Uh, by the end of it, I don't think I had any exhaust. It was like I would, everyone would know I was coming because this super loud car was was on its way, but this Toyota was the greatest car of all time. And I loved that Toyota. I loved it so much and it was funny, you'd pull up to my parents' house and there's just these two Camrys sitting in front of my parents' house and, and my brother and myself both loved our Toyota Camrys because they just took care of us. They got us from point A to point B. And I learned to trust my Camry. I learned that no matter what, I could always rely on this Toyota Camry. So after seven years, uh, I thought the car was just going to be worth nothing. I posted it on Kijiji, sold it for, I think, eight, 800 or 900 bucks. So I ended up spending 900 bucks on a vehicle that lasted me seven years. And now I'm passionate about Toyotas. I just love them because I had an experience with my Toyota and it made me trust the name of Toyota. It wasn't how I drove the car. Sure, I, I wanted to do pedal to the metal and, and feel, the, feel the V6 under my feet, um, but it was actually how the car took care of me. It was how the car uh, responded to me. See, I think all of us have an experience with God, whether that, whether that is uh, something that God's done in our life, whether that's a testimony or a story. We have an experience with God And we can say, this is what God did. And so we have trust in God. And what Pastor Des was saying, Pastor Brett was saying, is that, yes, we have trust in God, but what happens when we don't? And how do we regain that trust? But I was thinking about the fact of 
the fact that sometimes it feels like I have trust, but the trust is so fleeting. that The trust goes away. And I was wondering, why is that? And I realized that the reason why our trust is so fleeting, why it's so easy to forget about the good things that God has done, is because we have an enemy. We have an enemy that we are fighting against. And Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, and I'm preaching out of the NLT today, says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, it was just Halloween a few weeks ago, and, and we can read this and kind of feel like, oh, it's all spooky and it's all, you know, it's all creepy. But the reality is that we do have an enemy. We have an enemy that would like to come and make us lose our trust in God, that make us forget those good things that God has done in our lives. He deceives us. Revelation 12, 10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, that's the enemy, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So we have trust in God, but we also have an enemy that comes and tries to deceive us to make us lose that trust, to make us forget that trust that we have in God. It's kind of like a scene of, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of us here have watched Judge Judy, right? And I don't know why we all love watching Judge Judy. It's probably because when we see other people's problems, it makes us feel like our problems aren't nearly as bad. Um, but imagine the scene of Judge Judy, or, or maybe even a more intense scene, I guess Christmas is coming. Uh, you think about that Santa Claus movie where Santa Claus is trying to prove himself the real Santa Claus. And, and there's this courtroom, and there's a judge, and the judge is God, and he's sitting there. And the accuser, the, the persecutor, he's the devil. He comes and he persecutes and he says, this saint has done this and this and this. And, and he brings all of the accusations and the things that we've struggled with to the front. And so our trust in God sometimes starts to wane because we feel like, oh man, like I'm accepted to God's family, but I still struggle with this, this thing or that thing, the things that the enemy might accuse us about. He points out our failures and he points out all of the things that we might not have succeeded in. He's accusing us. And he makes us feel like we're just not winning. He makes us doubt God and our trust in God slowly erodes. So how do we overcome this adversary? How do we keep the trust in God that we know we have? You know, we, I know I loved my Toyota. But if somebody came and said, well, do you remember how the locks wouldn't unlock with the key? Or do you remember how when you turned it on, it would, you'd have to turn it on and turn it off and turn the windshield wipers on in order to get it on. You start doubting, oh, maybe I didn't like that Toyota as much, or, or maybe God didn't work in my life the way that I thought he would. So how do we overcome the adversary? Well, Revelations 12, 11, the very next verse tells us how, and it says, and they have defeated him. He, they've defeated the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You see, in this great courtroom scene, you have God there and you have the enemy accusing. But standing right next to us in our corner is Jesus. And the blood of the lamb covers us. Jesus' blood, when he died on the cross and he took our sin and our shame, that's what God sees. He, he sees Jesus' blood. And so Jesus is there and he's our defense attorney. He's on our defense and and sure, maybe he's standing there and listening to the things that the accuser's saying, but then 
he, he says something for us. He defends us. See, the price has been paid for our failure and we're in right standing with God. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever heard a story about yourself, uh, maybe from a third party, or maybe you were like eavesdropping and you overheard someone talking about you? And it's a negative story. Uh, and even though you know the truth, uh, you start believing a little bit of what somebody's saying. Maybe, maybe there's a complaint box and you get complaints at work. And uh, you know you, you feel confident in what you're doing, but you start reading these complaints and you know, it, it starts making you think, you know, maybe I am blank. Maybe I'm not good at blank. See, when the enemy accuses us, it makes us question God and what he's done in our lives. We're standing in that courtroom and Jesus is there and the blood of the Lamb's covering us, but we're still hearing these accusations. We're still hearing what the enemy is saying against us. And it starts to make us question. You know, we know we're in right standing with God. We know that the blood of the Lamb's covering us. We know, we know that God sees us through the blood, but it can still make us doubt. It still makes that trust slowly erode. Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians uh, tells us how we fight against these principalities and powers of darkness, how we are supposed to defend ourselves against these accusations. So I'm going to read Ephesians 6, 13 to 18, and I'm going to kind of stop and break down each little point as we go. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing Firm. I don't know if you've ever had an argument with your wife or your husband or whoever it might be, and you really want to win your point, and so you're just kind of like throwing all of all that you can at them, and at the end of it, it's like there's no winners. You feel gross, they feel gross, everybody's feeling gross, you're not standing firm. And so what Ephesians is saying is, how do we fight but still stand firm so that we don't feel like we're just like lying on the ground in a bloody mess? Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. So the belt of truth, what does that do? Well, the belt of truth holds together all the other armor of God. It connects the breastplate. It connects the, 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 the sandals. It connects the whole thing because the belt of truth, that is, if we don't have the truth of God, if we don't know what, what God has said in his word, we're not going to be able to stand firm. All those other things are going to kind of shift and, and they might not be as protective as they could have been. We stand firm in who God is. He is the truth. And the body armor of God's righteousness. See, God's blood covers us. It's like body armor. It covers our front. It covers our back. It covers all of us. And, and it's his righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's not what I've done. It's not the great things that I've accomplished. It's not how good I was at praying and how much I built my faith up so that I was able to see deliverance in some area. No, no. It's God's righteousness that we rely on. It's his righteousness that covers us. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Well, we have peace because we are in right standing with God and we know what the future holds. We know that we've already won this battle. And that's good news, but there's also other good news. And the other good news is our story, our testimony, what God has done in us. And we're going to look at that a little bit more later on. So that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And the picture that Paul is painting here is that the, the enemy has fiery darts that he's shooting at you. And, and you put up your shield and you lock your shield with the, the shields around you. The, the Roman shield that Paul would have been alluding to here could lock together with all the shields around him. And their faith would join together and they would, they would be able to resist the fiery darts of the enemy. The accusations, the, 
When the, when the enemy accuses, hey, you're all alone. Hey, there's nobody here for you. The church is failing. The church is, you know, the, there's, there's moral pastors. Some pastors have moral failure, and, and this celebrity pastor did that, and whatever might be going on. When we hold up the shield of faith and we interlock it together, the enemy has no accusation that can pierce that shield of faith. And God gives us the faith. It's not, it's not my faith. It's, it's the faith that God gives to us. Put on salvation as your helmet. I think really often Christians like to, uh, they go on two, two different sides. Either they really like thinking about the Bible and studying the word and knowing who God is and all his attributes. And there's another group that just likes to proclaim his power, you know, name it and claim it and, and just believe in God. And, and then they forget about looking at what the word actually says. But put on salvation as your helmet. Well, what, what, what is salvation? What did God do for me? Who, what, what is the sin that God saved me from? We know that the word of God says to fight temptations of the enemy, not just rely on faith, but studying who God is so that we can know his character. So we put on the salvation as our helmet and we take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus went into the desert and the enemy came and tempted Jesus. And, and the enemy, uh, Satan, came and he actually used scripture against Jesus. He said, is it not written? And then he'd take a scripture and he, he would kind of twist it and he'd kind of take it slightly out of context. And the only way that Jesus would respond to Satan's accusations is he would say, he would say it is written. And he would use the whole verse and he would, he would use exactly what the Bible actually says. That's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful, but if we don't know what the Word of God is, we're not going to be able to fight against the accuser. When he comes and says, is God really? Well, do we know what God really is? Are we taking up the sword of the Spirit? The amazing thing about, about this armor of God and, and the sword is that these are tools that God gives us, but none of them, none of them are, are tools that that we are creating. They're all tools that God is using to fight on our behalf. We do the work of putting the armor on, but God is the one who protects us and defends us. The blood of the lamb covers us. But Revelation also talks about the blood of the lamb, but also the word of our testimony. So what does the word of our testimony mean? Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. So we're coming up on Christmas pretty soon here, and uh, Christmas means one thing in my wife's mind, and that is Hallmark movies. Now, if you're a Hallmark movie person, you just love Hallmark movies, and nobody's ever going to argue against that because Hallmark movies are the best. You're probably the same person who loves pumpkin spice lattes and eggnog lattes, big rip on those ones. Uh, you're probably that kind of person, and that's fine. You can enjoy those things. Uh, but sometimes when I watch these Hallmark movies, I'm just like, what is the appeal? And then I kind of started realizing that like Netflix is actually pretty much just Hallmark, but rebranded because they're just trying to get out as many stories as they can, even if they're terrible. But there's something interesting about Hallmark movies or Netflix movies or any movies in general. And that's that there's power in stories, even in bad stories, there's power in it. We love stories because we can jump into the stories and we can live someone else's perspective. We can empathize with them. We can, we can try and understand what they're going through. 
Uh, I really like listening to uh, audiobooks, and my favorite genre is like like Lord of the Rings, like fantasy novels, uh, and all of them have like you know swords and like all this you know all this all this stuff that's super nerdy. Um, but I love them because I put myself in the place of the hero. I am the main character, and I'm going to win. And there is something about stories that's just so powerful. Our testimony is a story. But our testimony is the story of what God has done through us and in us. Not only does he see us through his son's blood, but he also chooses to partner with us and work in us. That's crazy. Like, he could do this all by himself. He could, he could make everything happen by himself, but he chooses to partner with us. He becomes the center of our story. Our testimony is the story of God at work in our lives. By proclaiming what God has done, we crush the enemy's accusations. Despite who I am, or what I have done, or where I have come from, God is still working in me. That's powerful. If you hear, you know, you hear somebody's story, you hear somebody's testimony, you hear how God has worked in somebody's life, that's powerful. Because you can't refute what that person's saying because it's their experience. In the Bible, in John 9, there's a story of a man who Jesus healed from blindness. And the Pharisees questioned this man multiple times about the story of his healing. And, and so Jesus, Jesus came to this man. He made uh, mud on the ground and he wiped it on the man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool. And the man washed in the pool and, and he was healed of his blindness. And then Jesus kind of like goes away and, and the Pharisees come up to this guy and say, who healed you? And he says, Jesus healed me. And they really don't like that answer because they believe Jesus is a sinner. And so they say again, who healed you? Jesus healed me. And then, and then they, they still don't like the answer. So they go to this man's parents and they say, we know that, that this is your son. Tell us how he was healed. And the parents say, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But just ask him if you want to know how he was healed. They didn't want the repercussions of, of the Pharisees. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And then the Pharisees in John 9, 25, asked the man one more time, who healed you? Is he a sinner? John 9, 25 says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did they do, he asked. They asked, how did he heal you? Look, this man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And this is his response. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And they replied, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. This story is amazing because this man who, you know, he was probably uneducated. He was blind. He was born blind, so he, he would have been unclean. He would have been rejected from much of the teaching. He has this encounter with Jesus where Jesus heals him and, and takes away his blindness. And, 
And then these Pharisees are questioning him, and he starts teaching the Pharisees. And they don't like that very much. They're not very happy about that. But he had a story. He had a moment in his life where Jesus invaded, where God invaded and turned things around. And he shared that testimony with them. And even though, you know, he didn't maybe have all the right language down, maybe he didn't have all of the right, you know, ancient scripture, he knew what God had done in his life. And he was able to tell the Pharisees that. I'm sure we all know people that over-spiritualize things in their lives. You know, you, you talk to someone and they're like, um, oh, I, I, I was just so, God just did an amazing thing. Like, I went into my car this morning and it was full of gas. And then you're like, well, like, did you fill it up with gas recently? Oh, yeah, like, I filled it up last night with gas. But, like, God is just so amazing that, like, he told me to go fill it up with gas. And you're like... Well, was it on empty? Well, yeah, it was on empty, but like that was totally gone, right? We've all experienced that story. And, and, and I think sometimes we, we experience those stories with people and we kind of get a little turned off where we're just like, ah, I don't want to over-spiritualize everything. I don't want to, you know, was it really God who did that? But I actually think it's easier to under-spiritualize things. I think it's easier to forget about what God is doing in our day-to-day lives, to forget about how God is working in us. What is my testimony? What is God doing in me? Not just in the macro sense, not just in the big sense of, man, I was lost, I was a sinner, and God came and met me where I was, and he changed my life, and he accepted me into his family, but also in the micro sense. What did he do for me yesterday? What is he doing for me every single day? What are the things that he's working on in my life? What are those pain points that, they might still be painful, but maybe they're a little less painful than they were last year or, or 10 years ago even. Every single day he takes us from death to life. I recently had, uh, well, not, not I, my wife recently had uh, our second child. And the funny thing about having your second kid is that uh, you don't remember anything from your first kid. Even though it was like two years ago. There's only two years separating them. But, but we're, we're questioning every single night. Okay, but did our first kid sleep this many hours or... or how did we do this? How did we do this? We don't remember anything. The reality is we were sleep deprived during the whole first thing and we're sleep deprived again. So our memories aren't, aren't exactly catching up. But I think it's funny because sometimes we have these, these discussions and my wife remembers things completely different than I remember them. I remember, oh yeah, within you know, two weeks she was sleeping eight hours through the night. It was no problem. She was eating like a champ and she's probably walking by three weeks. And my wife's like, what are you talking about? She didn't sleep for the first year and a half. I can't even still get her to sleep and she's not walking yet. You know, we have these, the same story but two different perspectives. I think sometimes we, we feel like we can't share what God is doing or what God has done because our perspective's off. We think that God hasn't done anything because we didn't get the exact answer that we were hoping for. Maybe we look at our situation and we look at the, the prayer request that we might have put in and, you know, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. And so we think God didn't do anything where this entire time God was in your circumstance. He was in your situation and he was fighting on your behalf and he is fighting on your behalf. And maybe he's doing something a little bit different than what you thought that he was. When I was in grade uh, seven or eight, we had this ministry week at the church I was going to. And, and it was just kind of like a ministry week to, to get like, you know, teens and, and preteens kind of, you know, understanding what ministry looked like, understanding what it meant to be a Christian. And 
Uh, it was called Porta Backyard, and we did this outreach into a whole bunch of communities, kind of throwing on the VBS style thing. Uh, and one of the days, uh, they said that we were going to have somebody come in to prophesy over us and to, to speak life into us. And so, you know, as a, as a 13 or 14-year-old at the time, I was just like, man, like, I want to hear from God during this prophecy time tomorrow. And I, it was kind of a season in my life where I was, I was just praying and asking God, God, like, what do you want? Speak to me, God. And I was asking him for specific things. And God, I just want you to, I just want you to hear me. God, will you speak to me? And the night before this prophecy, I remember, I remember being in bed and, and praying and asking God for something. And I don't even remember what I was asking for. Just asking that he would speak to me and, and actually kind of getting to a point, begging him that he would speak to me. And I remember I, I wasn't getting anything from God. I wasn't hearing anything from God. And, and the last thing I said is, God, do you even hear me? And then I went to sleep. The next morning uh, was the prophecy time, and uh, we all kind of got in the line, and, and a guy was going through and prophesying over each of us, and the people before me were getting these great words. And the guy came up to me, and he kind of stood there for a second, and then he did like a generic prayer and didn't say he was prophesying or anything, just a generic kind of prayer. And my heart's kind of sinking, like, man, like... I don't even get a prophecy today either. And, and he actually looked at me and said, I, I don't have anything for you today. And I was so disappointed. And then he walked on to the next guy and then he kind of stopped. And he moved back and he said, actually, I do have something for you. I believe that God just wants you to know that he hears your prayers. And in that moment, that, that moment changed my life forever because I was praying and I was asking God to speak to me and and I wanted specific answers. And I didn't really believe that he was listening to me, that he, could, he was hearing me. And the next day, God hears your prayers. That's a testimony. That's a story in my life that no matter what happens, nobody can argue that story. And, and I know people want to argue that away. I'm a pastor. I, I, I've gone and I've given prophetic words to people. And, you know, there's generic words that you can give that kind of cover like a whole baseline of things. But... You know, I can argue it away and just say, oh, you know, that's just like a generic thing that pastors say and blah, blah, blah. Or I can choose to change my perspective and believe that God spoke to me in that time. And that when the enemy wants to accuse me and deceive me into thinking that I can't trust God, that God isn't speaking to me, that I can remember that story. I can remember that testimony and remember that God does hear me, even when it doesn't feel comfortable. But our testimony isn't only for ourselves. We all, we've all probably experienced a baptism testimony uh, where somebody kind of talks about their, their journey into relationship with Jesus. Uh, most of us have heard that, but the reality is, is that we all have testimonies every single day. God's work doesn't start upon salvation. When people are getting baptized and they're telling their stories, that's the story of their salvation. But God's story doesn't stop after, after salvation. In fact, that's the beginning of the story. There's new chapters being written every single day. The accuser wants to come and make us feel isolated, isolated make us feel like the church is falling and failing, uh, falling apart and failing. He wants to deceive us into thinking that the last time that God worked in our lives was during our salvation. But our testimonies shut down those accusations. When we share our testimonies, it builds our trust in God. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony will overcome the accusations of the enemy. So right after Paul writes about this, this uh, 
armor that we can put on as believers. He kind of concludes his letter. At the end of most of Paul's letters, he actually gives a testimony to the people he's writing to. In Ephesians 6, 21 to 24 says, just to bring you up to date, to kind of give you a little story, to give you a little testimony. Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you, to share the testimony of what God's doing. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite authors wrote about this. We are not fighting the battle alone. There are other believers who stand with us in the fight, and we ought to be careful to encourage one another, to share those testimonies. Paul encouraged the Ephesians. Tychicus was an encouragement to Paul, and Paul was going to send Tychicus to, to Ephesus to be an encouragement to them. Paul was not the kind of missionary who kept his affairs to himself. He wanted the people to know, the people of God to know what God was doing, how their prayers were being answered, and what Satan was doing to oppose the work. His motive was not selfish. He was not trying to get something out of them. What an encouragement it is to be a part, the part of a family of God. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find an isolated believer. Christians are like sheep. They flock together. The church is an army and soldiers need to stand together and fight together. So what does this all mean for our day-to-day -day lives? What does this mean for our trust in God? Well, we all face the realities of life and we all face uh, the realities that sometimes as time goes on, our trust in God can kind of start eroding away. That the accuser comes and he tries to deceive and he tries to make us feel like we're alone or he tries to make us feel like, did God really do that? Did God really say that? Is that really who God is? But the Bible gives us the tools, the, the, the blood of the lamb that will overcome. The blood of the lamb and, and, and the armor of God that will overcome and the word of our testimony. Psalms is like a giant book of testimonies. And it's funny because you read through Psalms and, and some of them start really dark God, why have you abandoned me? Why do my enemies overcome me? I'm, I'm, I'm crushed. I'm, I'm beaten. Why are you doing this? But every single time those psalms turn and they say, but I remember, but I know who you are, God, but I trust who you are, God. And they're sharing a testimony. They're testifying to who God is and what they've done in his life. Psalm 71, 15 to 18 says, I will tell everyone about your righteousness, all day long I will proclaim your saving power. Though I am not skilled with words, I will praise your mighty deeds, O sovereign Lord. I will tell everyone that you, are, you alone are just. O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now I am old and gray. Do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're in a place where you feel like you've been praying for something and, and, and that prayer hasn't been answered in the way that you thought. Maybe, you, maybe you've been struggling with something for a long time and it feels like, am I ever going to overcome this thing? Maybe you feel like, I don't have a testimony. Maybe, maybe when you, you came to salvation, you feel like that was kind of it. I haven't progressed at all. I just want to encourage you, if you look back and you see how God has taken you from one place to another, where he's taken you from glory to glory, how he's trans transformed your life as you've partnered together with him. You will see woven throughout your whole story that Jesus was there and that his blood covers you. 
The accuser wants to come and tell you that God isn't doing anything in your life, that you shouldn't trust him. But I want to encourage you today that you can trust God because he is good and he is faithful and he never abandons us. Sometimes he's far away, sometimes he's really close. But both cases, he's with us. Sometimes you might not get the answer you're looking for, but as you learn to trust God, realize that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him as long as we are submitted to him. As a church, I want to encourage us, let's start sharing our testimony. Every Sunday we, want, we have this moment where we want to share prayer requests and testimonies, but what often ends up happening is we only get prayer requests, we don't ever get testimonies. Is that because God isn't doing anything in our lives? No, absolutely not. God is doing stuff all the time. God is changing us all the time. But maybe we need to shift our perspective a little bit to be able to see how God is working and how God is moving. Let's not let the accuser shut us down and, and ruin our trust in God. Let's share our testimony to encourage one another and to overcome. We have an enemy that fights us, but the battle is already won. We've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Saints Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can head to saintschurch.ca and there you'll find information on service times, different locations, and more online content. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.